Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 237. This is the podcast that keeps you updated and educated every week about the latest consumer tech news, views and reviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. First time listeners, we're glad you found us and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, will the Australian telcos follow US carriers and offer unlimited data? what we might see at Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference in June. EHANG184, the autonomous passenger drone, will go into service this year. And Microsoft updates Office with Touch Bar support for the MacBook Pro. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to check out the iClip Grip Pro, which is a multifunctional photography accessory. We're also going to take a look at the Netgear Nighthawk X1 mobile router, And we're going to check out Atari's new Flashback 7 console. And we'll finish it off with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products. And also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. Plenty to get through, so let's dive straight in. Okay, kicking off the show this week, we're going to talk about the Australian telcos and whether they're going to follow the US carriers in offering unlimited mobile data. About a week and a half ago, we saw the first of the major US telcos and uh, we're talking about Verizon. They offered unlimited data to their mobile customers. So unlimited plan. Uh, Within a week, T-Mobile joined in and were also offering unlimited data. And lo and behold, AT&T, the other major carrier, also joined in. Now, these are obviously top-end plans which allow customers to have have no data limit. There There are some fair use exceptions, and but basically they can just go nuts with their mobile data and not be penalised for going over a certain amount. With that in mind, we, we had a chat to Boost Mobile founder Peter Adderton, and he, he hosted a group breakfast for a bunch of us journalists last week and gave a pretty frank analysis of the Australian market, the telco market, where it's heading, where it's at, and what it should do. And one of the, one of the subjects that was brought up was this whole unlimited uh, plan that had been in, uh, unveiled at that time by Verizon and then followed by T-Mobile and AT&T. And his reaction is that it, it's inevitable. It has to it has to happen here in Australia. And whether it's Telstra, Optus or Vodafone, he says it'll only take one to move and then the other three, as we saw 
with the in the US, it'll take the others then to to follow because I think once once they make a move like that, I think uh, that's going to attract a lot of attention, a lot of customers, and uh, the other telcos maybe for their hands may be forced. But keep an eye. But but keep in mind something else. So he did mention the fact that yes, the data consumption is growing, and it's not just on mobile devices, but on average. Australians only use about three gigabytes of data per month. So we, we, we do use, there are some people obviously that use a lot, others that use very little, but on average, so if you add, add all them up and divide it all, it is pretty, uh, pretty low, that, that, that average. Three gigabytes a month is what the average Australian mobile user consumes. Now, Peter Adderton, who founded Boost Mobile back in 2000, and we'll talk a little bit more about what he did with them, but he was saying that across the board, we're going to be using about 200 gigabytes of data per month with about 20 gig of that coming through our mobile devices. So our, our demand is going to increase. But at the moment, we're only at about three gig on mobile. I think there's a, we're, we're pretty well educated. We're pretty savvy here in Australia where we look for Wi-Fi networks where we can, especially younger users. They're very frugal with their data. Even though they may have eight to 10 gig or so a decent amount of data, they're still got this mindset where free Wi-Fi is better than using cellular data. So that's the reason why they're keeping their, their data allowances low. But now in the in a world where we've got Netflix and Stan and all this content on offer and and the ability to watch it anywhere, that data demand is really increasing. Now, you can understand 200 gig a month wouldn't be hard to, to consume if we're watching Netflix and streaming music and using accessing all the content how we're used to. And 20 gig of that, as I mentioned, would is likely to be through the, you know, this is in the years to come. This is likely to be through the the mobile as well so 20 gig through mobile so the, the changes are coming whether they're going to whether they, it's going to happen here in Australia as quickly uh, as it has in the US uh, will take will take uh, some time to to work out but it just it is really interesting the whole landscape and Peter Adderton who uh, really gave a frank uh, analysis of of the of the current the current uh, telco state the state of the market if you like and he he specified the fact that at the moment carriers don't really target particular groups of users. They have like this drift net approach that allows them to pick up uh, customers of all ages. Boost Mobile, when it was founded in 2000, kind of set itself apart from its competition because it targeted younger users. So it gave them access to content, access to data and and things that would attract a younger audience so they were, they sponsored concerts and and they were also involved uh in the hip hop uh in the hip hop category so back back in the early 2000s it was surprising to to know that boost actually had a quite an influence in the hip hop industry in hip hop music and there was at the time, but Peter Adderton said that he he knew he spent some time with Jay Z and P Diddy and Pharrell and Fifty Cent, and they were looking at the mobile as being the device that's going to connect them to their fans, so to the generation who spend more time on mobile than other devices. And when when Boost decided to when they did launch in the US, they did uh, they did help those artists find those fans 
through through their marketing and through their through their whole approach to the business. But one interesting story, uh, one thing that I found interesting anyway was that Boost uh, marketing department. They they came and saw Peter and said that they're, they're talking to this young kid who's coming through this hip hop young hip hop artist and that they should get behind him. His name was Kanye West, and as it turned out, Kanye came in and he said, "Look, if you help me, I'll put you boost in one of my songs, and if you help me produce it, help me pay for it." And uh, they ended up giving him a shot and. Kanye West actually did one of the very first Boost ads for uh, Boost Mobile ads for the company. So uh, if you if you're not a Kanye West fan, you can blame Boost Mobile for giving him his start in the hip hop music industry. But interestingly, the the market is uh, the telco market in Australia, according to Peter Adderton, is is changing. the 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 markets, the 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 networks are getting faster. They're also allowing companies like Facebook to grow and to, and to increase in value. At the moment, Facebook mobile revenue uh, is increasing rapidly. Reason for that is that the, the, the networks are much faster and allows people to view video, high-quality video through the app. And that's been a big part. If you've ever been on Facebook, every second post in there is a video. And the ability to watch that on your mobile, uh, you, you can put that down to you can thank the networks. And as a result, Facebook has grown into quite a valuable company uh, and the networks are just building faster and faster networks and not charging Facebook a cent to grow into this massive company, valuable company they've become. Uh, Peter Adderton, he, he actually gave it an interesting description. He said, that, well, you know, Mark, here's, here's this young kid whose company's now seven, worth seven times more than any of the telcos here in Australia. And what, what they've basically done is given him a first-class seat on their plane, and the, the carriers have paid for it. And it's very hard for the carriers to get rid of that. The, the, the users are obviously going to access Facebook no matter what, but it's the content that drives the network that allows us we can access content on the network that is is helping the content providers rather than the networks. So you're going to find, and, and you're going to find that uh, networks, telcos are going to partner up with content companies. In the US, there's talk of, of companies buying each other out, like AT&T buying a content company and all these deals being done because they want to make the money on the content rather than just providing this super fast pipe for people to use, and that's basically what 5G is going to be, this super fast pipe, then they want to make a dollar out of it. So they're partnering up with these content companies and hopefully going to turn a profit in that area. But interesting times ahead, unlimited plans, unlimited mobile data plans. I'll definitely put my hand up for one of those. Whether we see it sooner or later is yet to be seen. But if you want to read our full review, our full story, I should say, our interview with Peter Adderton, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Well, Apple has announced the date and location of the 2017 Worldwide Developers Conference. This is the annual conference held uh, in the U.S., in uh, in San Francisco, usually, where more than uh, all the, these thousands of developers from around the world come to see not only what Apple's improvements and updates for their iMac operating system, iOS, Apple Watch, Apple TV, but they also come to to interact and engage with more than a thousand Apple engineers. 
at this conference. So it's a great opportunity for app developers to show their code to these engineers and get some tips and tricks on how to make it better, how to make it work properly, especially uh, once these new features and updates have been announced. And uh, last year we saw the fact that things like Siri was available to developers. Also uh, in, in messages, you could uh, you can access apps within Apple's messages as well. So a lot of changes and updates that obviously developers need to keep up with. Well, this year, the Worldwide Developers Conference is it's still going to be held in June. It's going to start June the 5th and run through till June the 9th. But interestingly, it's going to be held not in its usual location in downtown San Francisco. We've been to a few Worldwide Developers Conference at the Moscone Center in, in downtown San Fran. This year, the conference is going to take place in San Jose at the McInerney Convention Center in downtown San Jose, which Apple pointed out is just a short distance from their brand new headquarters that uh, that are not quite complete, but by June, you never know, they may be moving in. Now, I find it really interesting that uh, that is uh, the, the fact that it's moved away from downtown San Francisco and it is now in San Jose, which is kind of Apple's hometown, but it's right next door to Cupertino where the company's headquarters is located. We can, and it's, it's it, as certain as the as the sunrise. We can say that Apple will unveil new Mac operating systems, so Mac OS, whatever that happens to be, an updated iOS. I think we're up to iOS 11, as well as updated Apple Watch. I think we're up to a, a, a Apple Watch Watch OS 3, and new Apple TV operating systems. No doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. But what Apple also tend to do at the Worldwide Developers Conference is also unveil hardware. And in the past, they've made some pretty major announcements. They announced the iPhone 3GS in 2009, the iPhone 4 in 2010, and the 15-inch MacBook Pro with Retina display in 2012. This year could be another year where there's some major piece of hardware announced. Now, if you cast your mind back to episode 236 of Tech Guide, and our our lead item was all about all the many rumors around the iPhone 8. One of the areas of speculation is when the device will be released. If they follow normal the normal cycle, we'll probably see it in September. But 2017 happens to be the 10th anniversary of the iPhone. And the iPhone was released in 2007 in June. And it would be a lovely bit of symmetry if in 2017 in June that they may announce, unveil the iPhone 8. Now, I think... That's a good chance of happening for the very fact that it is exactly 10 years just about if to, to the day when the original iPhone was released. But also, they may announce it in June, but release it a couple of months later. So it is, as, as the rumors suggest, the iPhone 8 is going to be quite a departure, quite a change from what we've got now. And a lot of those changes can be uh, taken advantage of. They can be used by developers. So there may be ways, like they're talking about having facial recognition and all these different things, these biometric things and larger screens and all this sort of stuff. It may be that the developers could have a hand in developing their apps to suit the new device. So that's, I think, a, a more than 
good chance, I think, to see, to think that the, we may very well see the very first appearance of the iPhone 8. Now, it might not go on sale the week after, but it may be our first glimpse at the device, the possibilities, and then a release date may happen a couple of months later. So I think keep that in mind. Uh, the Apple are going to stream the Worldwide Developers Conference keynote uh, on their website and I'm hoping the tech guide is over there in a couple of months. So it's not till June, so we've got plenty of time. But it is an interesting little uh, possibility that we could very well see not only some updates to the operating systems, but also a brand new iPhone as well. If you want to read our story about the Worldwide Developers Conference and the iPhone 8, the many rumors surrounding the iPhone 8, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Well, not so long ago, we were talking about drones, and in particular, the Ehang 184. This is the autonomous aerial vehicle. This is a passenger drone. So this is a drone big enough for a person to sit inside and be taken to the address, the location of their choice. So the passenger doesn't fly the drone. It is autonomous. For them to fly the drone, they'd need a pilot's license. And this device uh, being tested in China, it was at the Consumer Electronics Show last year in 2016 and was a hit. This year, it was there again, probably even more popular, but it was now in the testing phase uh, of the project. So the it is actually flying, whether it's flying with people on board or not, but it is flying. I've seen video of it operating over China. But we hear that the Ehang 184 is going to go into service sooner rather than later. Just last week, the Dubai Road and Transport Agency manager said that the device, the vehicle, I should say, will begin flying above Dubai in July. July 2017. That is this year. That's just a few short months away. The uh, The announcement was made at the World Government Summit, and there is there has been some testing already uh, already begun in Dubai. I think there is some video of uh, in their in their sizzle reel. I think there was some footage of the Ehang 184 flying over Dubai as well. So really interesting, not only for the fact that it is flying rather soon. But also the possibilities. Of course, a passenger, a passenger can take a ride. Now you've got to remember this is a thirty-minute, thirty-minute or less trip. So they're there for short hops. You can actually travel a fair distance in thirty minutes by air. So it is meant for those short to medium hops. I don't think you're going to fly across a whole country in the Ehang One Eight Four. It is for those short trips. It can take a person weighing up to one hundred and eighteen kilos. So if you're uh, if you're under that weight, you're good to go. Now you got to remember too that these that the, this Ehang one eight four is controlled by a worldwide command center. So this there is there are these centers that will track every single Ehang one eight four that takes off and lands and flies. They're going to control everything. So they'll be able to see they'll be able to monitor the weather, the conditions, ground flights if the condition conditions aren't suitable. There's also fail-safe systems on board so that if there is a, a component malfunction, the drone will be able to land in, a, in, a, in its nearest safe landing zone. Now, there are eight propellers. Even though there are four struts, there are eight propellers on the E-hang, so one on top of, of the other on each of the four struts. So I'd say there would be some redundancy. If one or two of the propellers fail, there is still six to go that can keep this thing flying. And I'd say if any of them did fail, it would probably look 
look for somewhere to land before any more failed. But that that's thinking the worst case scenario. This is uh, that, that's why there's testing involved. A lot of thorough testing happening already with the Ehang 184. And if you're ever in Dubai, keep an eye on the skies because you may see one fly overhead. If you want to see the Ehang 184 and even watch the video that we made at the Consumer Electronics Show, you know where to go: TechGuide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Well, the the one of the most popular pieces of software that Mac users you use, and on one of them is Office, Microsoft's Office suite of applications. And we're talking Word, we're talking PowerPoint, we're talking Excel and Outlook, and they've just had a, a an interesting update, a quite a significant one. Uh, and it is well, what it's done. It's actually added Touch Bar support. So if you're using the suite of applications on a new MacBook Pro with the touch bar, you are going to find all these commands, new commands on the touch bar, literally at your fingertips. So once you've done the update, you'll find that within Word, you'll now be able to make all those really basic changes like change to bold, italic, underscore, create lists with bullet points or numbers, change the style of headings, add comments, photos, add hyperlinks. You can even, there is even a shortcut to enter Word focus mode. If anyone, don't know if anyone uses that, but what it does, it basically blacks out the, the background, gets rid of all the ribbons, so you can just focus on the document that you happen to be working on. So that can be accessed through that touch bar as well. Moving on to PowerPoint, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the touch bar working here because you can manipulate graphic elements really easily now through that touch bar. Uh, And you can also reorder objects uh, within your slides as well. You can uh, rotate objects as well just by sliding your finger along the touch bar. And even while you're presenting, you'll be able to see little thumbnails of your slides. So the slide you're on, the slide to come, and there'll also be a timer that'll tell you uh, exactly how long you've been going. Uh, That's a really handy addition as well. In Excel, you can access all your most recently used functions. So if you're a big Excel user, you can, uh, a tap will give you the formula you've been working on. Another tap will reveal the named range that you've set. Uh, Also control things like cell borders, uh, cell colors, borders, recommended charts, Uh, So it makes it easy to organize your data and see it as well. Uh, in Outlook, you can all your most often used commands are also there. Uh, so, uh, and and whether that's whether you're writing email or organising your calendar, it will adjust depending on those the function of that particular application. It'll also put the most recent documents that you've used on display. So, in the touch bar, you can see the say the last four or five documents you've used. So you can easily add them as an attachment or uh, or create a link to those documents as well. So the new touch bar features available now. You need to do run the latest update. It's quite a hefty update, so be patient with that one. But if you're rocking the new MacBook Pro with touch bar and you've got Microsoft Office, run that update. You're going to be pleasantly surprised with that new touch bar functionality. You want to check that story out, you know where to go, techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Now, while public Wi-Fi at airports, hotels and cafes is convenient, 
Unfortunately, it's not always safe. Did you know that accessing the web using public Wi-Fi can expose your most sensitive information, things like passwords, photos, and credit card details to hackers and identity thieves? Norton Wi-Fi privacy helps encrypt your information when you're online, so it can't be intercepted by prying eyes. So whether you're worried about hackers stealing your passwords or companies tracking your online activity, keep your personal information protected with the new Norton Wi-Fi privacy app. To learn more, visit au.norton.com or search for Norton Wi-Fi Privacy on the App Store or Google Play Store. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennett. Tech Guide. Our first review for the show is the iClip Grip Pro. It's for a co- by a company called IK Multimedia. They do make a lot of iPhone accessories, uh, audio products. In this case, the Grip Pro is a very handy photography accessory. Reason for that is it's actually four items in one. It's a tripod. It's a hand grip mount. It's an extendable monopod. And it's also a selfie stick. And it's all controlled with a remote shutter as well. So the, the device itself, the product, I should say, is made of sturdy, lightweight plastic and aluminium. It all folds down into one piece. It folds down as small as 20 centimetres. So really easy to fit in your bag, in your backpack, wherever you happen to happen to go. It can fit a smartphone or a small digital camera. So it's got a, a smartphone holder, but it's also got the threaded mount as well that can fit on the bottom of a digital camera. It has that standard UNC quarter-inch threaded ball mount. And it's adjustable, so you can hold a phone in landscape or portrait. You can tilt it over, and the camera or phone that's connected can be placed at an angle as well. So really handy, can fit your camera, fit your smartphone, but all the ways you can use it are really handy. As a tripod, of course, you can have it just as a tabletop tripod, or you can extend the pole. extends up to 62 centimetres, so it's got a telescopic aluminium, light aluminium pole that you can twist and extend and then twist to lock into place again, and it will hold that up up to 62 centimetres uh, where they're in the tripod position. So on a tabletop, on the ground, it will give you that stable surface to shoot your movie or to shoot your pictures. And as I said, you can tilt the phone over so it's in uh, portrait or landscape mode. Same deal with your camera. As a hand grip mount, when it's all folded down, the tripod legs actually come together and they form an ergonomic grip. So you can actually hold your camera, your phone uh, with, with the grip, so you can hold it with one hand. If you may be shooting, you can hold it steadily with one hand. Uh, or if you've got your camera, you can even extend the pole. If you're, say, shooting over a crowd, you might be at a concert or somewhere where you need to shoot over people's heads to get a better angle. Uh, that also comes in handy as well. It's also an extendable monopod. Now, a monopod, as its name suggests, is a tripod but without the three legs. You can actually just use it as a base to give you some kind of balance, uh, some a stable surface to shoot your video or take your pictures. And again, you can take advantage of that of the extendable pole and the the ability to tilt the, uh, the camera or phone from landscape to portrait mode. Really easy to switch that across as well. Now, if you like taking pictures of, uh, apart from taking pictures of other things, if you like taking pictures of yourself, so if you're taking selfies, the iClip Grip Pro can also help you here because it's also a selfie stick. And you can simply just angle the clip, which is extendable, by the way. The smartphone clip is big enough to take even 
the iPhone 7 Plus, even if it's in a case. So there's plenty of room to fit a decent-sized phone in there, whether it's Android or, or Apple or an iPhone. Plenty of room, and you've got your selfie stick in order. But how do you take your photos? Having these, the tripod or the monopod or the selfie stick often puts the camera at an odd angle, maybe at, at, out of reach for you to hit the uh, the shutter control, the shutter button on the phone or the camera. When you're using the phone, you can actually pair the shutter remote, which comes with the iClip Grip Pro. You can pair that with your phone. So once it's paired to your iPhone or Android or Android smartphone, you just simply have to press the button and it will take a picture. Uh, if you want to take a burst, you just press and hold the button for longer. Now, it was real. There's two buttons actually on the remote. The top smaller button is if you're using an Android phone. The larger button on the bottom is if you're using an iPhone. So it does specify that. And the shutter remote, as handy as it is, also gave us the most frustrating time with this product once once we lost connection the first time with the shutter like we turned it off or uh our phone we 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 packed everything away we lost the bluetooth connection trying to get that connection back was really frustrating it took several goes we had to we had to forget the device and pair it again we tested it with an iphone and it took seven or eight goes to make this thing connect now, it was a combat. I don't know whether it was the fact that the Bluetooth pairing mode on the shutter wasn't there long enough. We did notice that the blue light would flash for, on some occasions, only a short period, and then other occasions it would stay longer and flash longer, and that's when we found that we had the pairing, it paired up with the phone again. But it was really, really frustrating, and to the point where, well, if we can't use the shutter, we can't use the whole product at all. So it's a real shame that the what, what I thought is an excellent product is marred by the shutter remote that has a, a bit of a flaky Bluetooth connection. Uh, if you're patient enough, it will work. Uh, but if it doesn't work straight away, you really got to be patient and stay at it. I think that's probably the only downside of an otherwise really nice product. The iClip Grip Pro, it's priced at $99.95, and it is a four-in-one pho photography accessory, so I think well worth the money. You can buy them at Apple stores and also other electronic retailers as well. And if you want to read our complete review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Next up, we're talking about a product from our, our good mates at Netgear. Netgear is, of course, one of the sponsors of the Tech Guide podcast, but they've just bought out the Nighthawk M1, the world's fastest mobile router. And, yeah, we spoke about the fact that it was announced, but we've actually tested this baby. We've reviewed this, and there is some good news and some not-so-good news. The good news is it is fast, but you do need to be in areas where the network has been adjusted, uh, the, the towers have been updated to make it compatible with this device. Now, it will work on every Telstra tower today, but it won't work at one gigabit per second, which is the maximum speed, theoretical maximum speed of this product. There were speeds we got, we got up to 300 megabits per second in pockets of the city, and that was really impressive. Out in the suburbs, you're probably going to get your regular speeds, like 50, 60 megabits per, sec per second, which is still impressive. But around the city, where the obviously the first towers have been updated, that's where we got our best speeds. Uh, as it extends to the suburbs, so around all the major capital cities, you're going to get that. At airports, you're going to get that. But then as it extends to the suburbs, you're going to see the speeds increase over time. So it creates a 2.4 gigahertz and a 5 gigahertz band. So it's dual band. 
and this thing, when it's connected to a decent network, goes like a rocket. We got the speeds we had in Martin Place, we got 293 megabits per second. In on the pit in the Pitt Street Mall between Pitt Street Mall and Martin Place, we got 146.21 megabits per second, and other various speeds. We got about 105 megabits per second at Wynyard Station, and uh, with also very impressive upload speeds as well. So I don't remember their download speeds, but upload speeds we got about 55.8 at one time, which was really impressive. And when you consider the my home connection here has I got Optus broadband cable broadband and while i can get sometimes 100 megabits per second down i'd be lucky to get two megabits per second up which is really frustrating and seeing in the netgear m1 can give you upload speeds that are you know 20 times better than what i've got on my cable fixed cable broadband connection uh, is rather impressive so uh, but, uh, there's one little thing it was quite a funny thing where I, I was actually due to go into the telstra office and i thought i'm going to give this a whirl in the telstra office if is it one place where it's going to work like a rocket it has to be in the Telstra building. Funny thing, that was the worst place it was. In the Telstra lobby in George Street, we got 1.4 megabits per second, which was rather slow. We're in the Telstra building and we didn't get the speed. It obviously shows that Telstra is putting their attention in the towers around the Telstra building rather than in the Telstra building. Now, the device itself has a great battery life. It lasted a day and a half and we were connecting three devices at once, using it all day, really hammering this thing. And it was giving us excellent speed, excellent connectivity for a day and a half. It has got uh, a USB port, a micro, oh, sorry, a USB-C port, as well as an Ethernet port. Now, the Ethernet port, you can use that to connect, to physically connect a device. You can connect up to 20 wirelessly, by the way. You can connect, use the Ethernet port to connect your computer, your laptop, to give you that speed. You can also use the USB port, the USB 3 port, to connect a drive or a USB thumb drive and share content across the little network you've created as well. Now, this hotspot is a little bit larger than your normal hotspot. It's a, it's a square shape, has a circular screen, but it is uh, bigger than your regular mobile hotspot. But that is a good thing because bigger means you get a bigger battery. And as I said, the battery goes a day and a half, which was really cool. It can also be used as a travel router too. If you're on the road, you can then have one Wi-Fi connection, say you're in a hotel room, and some hotels charge by the device to connect. This With this, you can have one network that you can then share with all your devices. Really handy indeed. The Nighthawk Netgear Nighthawk M1, available now. It's $360 through Telstra. Or you can get it, if you want to buy it outright, it's 360 Or you can get it on a plan. 24-month plan gets you one gig, gig of data per month. And that's over 24 months. $45 a month, it gets you 10 gig a month. And 70 bucks a month gets you 20 gig of data per month as well. If you want to read our full review, you can, uh, you can read that at techguide.com.au. Well, everything old is new again, especially when it comes to computer games. And we, we did see that late last year with the Nintendo NES Mini system, the Mini NES. Remember that? The classic. You couldn't buy it anywhere before Christmas. It was so popular. Well, Atari's come up with their own version, the Atari Flashback 7. This is a classic games console that allows you to play classics like Space Invaders, Frogger, 
uh, asteroids, Pong, Centipede, Jungle Hunt. Oh, I'm thinking I'm a teenager just speaking about those games. It's a really great retro device. Looks just like the original Atari console. Remember the little the wood grain finish at the front, the sort of brown stripe and the bright uh, orange and red buttons and the black joysticks. You can just you buy this unit. It's got 101 games on board, connected to your TV. 99.95. Available from EB Games, JB Hi-Fi, Target, The Gamesman. So many cool games to play. Now, look, it's not like they're going to play the PS4 Pro. Nothing like it. It is pretty blocky graphics, pretty old, uh, but it is the nostalgia factor is through the roof. And I've had contact with a lot of readers who've, who've wanted to buy this to, sh- to play the games they played as a child with their own children to say, look, this is what was popular when I was young, and these things are flying off the shelf. So the Atari Flashback 7, ninety-nine ninety-five. If you want to take a stroll down memory lane with some of those favorite games, this is the device to do it, and you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fenning. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. And they've just released Orbi, the world's first tri-band Wi-Fi system. Orbi gives you reliable, secure and crazy fast Wi-Fi to every inch of your home. That's right, everywhere. No more dead zones upstairs, no drop connections through walls, just better Wi-Fi everywhere. Orbi reaches up to 370 square metres through Wi-Fi barriers like walls, stairs and doors. With a dedicated internet connection, Orbi helps prevent buffering while streaming your favourite movies and shows. No matter how many devices are connected, you have ultra-fast Wi-Fi speeds. The Orbi tri-band Wi-Fi system works with your existing modem to maximise the speed you're paying for. Orbi's sleek design and state-of-the-art technology steals the show. It gives your home a superior Wi-Fi network that's both easy to set up and elegant to display. With just a couple of clicks, your secure Wi-Fi network will be ready in no time. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. A couple of quick questions in the Tech Guide help desk from our readers. One contacted me about a way to turn off a some items in a holiday home. I think it was underfloor heating. They wanted to be able to access uh, remotely the control, turn them on, turn them off. And my answer to that was if you can plug it into a wall, then you can, can turn it on and off remotely using Belkin's Wemo switch. You remember the Wemo switches? There are similar similar products from other companies, but the Wemo is the one that sort of was the first on the scene and, and one of the best in our opinion. So if you can plug it in to a wall, then you can plug it into the Wemo switch, which then plugs into the wall, and that gives you control over when it turns on, when it turns off. You can do it, use the the app to to turn it on or off straight away or set up scenes where it's turned on and off at certain times of the day so any whether that's not just this underfloor heating in this case but anything you can plug in and you want these things to turn on and off as if you're home you can either do that manually through the app just turn it on turn it off or set the timers so that set create these scenes where they come on at, at sunset or turn off at sunrise all these things you can do you can do that through the wemo switch Next up, we have, uh, yet again, people have asked us, do I need security, internet security software on my Mac and on my iPad? Well, Mac first, absolutely you do. Have your computer secured with internet security software. If you're using a Mac, 
it is possible, even though less likely, it is still possible that you can get a virus. There are dangers out there for Mac users. I don't think, well, I'm, a, I'm bulletproof because I've got a Mac wrong. There have been cases where there have been some viruses, some malware for the Mac, and people have been caught out. Don't be one of those people. Pay for your internet security software because Norton's one of our sponsors as well, so I'll give them a plug. Any free internet security software is rubbish. That's why it's free. Pay for it. You often get licenses for five devices. You can maybe have your Mac. You maybe have another computer. You can even have your your tablets, Android devices, Uh, which brings us to the next part of the question was, do I need security software on an iPad or an iPhone? And my, look, you can, you, you, there aren't really security software apps for, for uh, the iPad and, and iPhone. Reason for that is that Apple is so strict with the apps that can be released on the App Store. So it is a, a long shot that anything can get through. So you're not going to have, on Android, it's common for an app to be downloaded, for an app to be uploaded to the Play Store that's got all these vulnerabilities in the back end where it can access your contacts and access all your details without you knowing it, of course. Easily, you can put that on the Play Store. And that's why you can easily install app security software so that you can check to see if that app is worthwhile in, in downloading, that it is not dangerous to your system. It is possible to do that. On the iPhone, not so much. There aren't so many apps that allow you to do that because the App Store is so strict. It is so well monitored that none of that can get through. So answer to that, you probably don't need internet security software on your iPad. I think Apple's got you back there with the App Store. But on your Mac, most definitely buy internet security software. Buy it. Don't get the free version. The free ones are rubbish. That's why they're free. Pay for it and keep it updated. Updated every year and let it do its own updates during the year as well. If you want to read more about all of those stories, we've, we've written about them on Tech Guide many times. Check it out, techguide.com.au. And that's our show for this week. You can read about everything that we've spoken about at techguide.com.au. And if you want to drop us a line, you can send me an email, info at techguide.com.au. You may have a question to ask. You may end up on the Tech Guide help desk on the podcast. A special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs. And also a shout out to Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.